it's simple, really. Great stories with a good cup of tea. It's the Tea with Mike show. Please welcome to today's episode of the Tea with Mike show, Monique Sa, business consultant, president of BNC Speakers, investor, and as she describes herself in her bio, a boss. Uh, for, for for context for the uh, the Tea with Mike audience, she's also a part of the executive uh, leader team at Collision Drumsticks, which actually might sound quite familiar uh, to regular Tea with Mike listeners, as we recently had or recently I had the privilege of uh, talking to uh, Carlton Banks, who is the CEO of Collision Drumsticks. So, without further ado, welcome to the Tea with Mike show, Monique. Thank you so much. I'm super excited to be here today. Uh, me too. Just really excited to, uh, to dive into all of the different components of your story. And again, thanks uh, for being here. Can you tell us a little bit about where you grew up and where you now call home? Yeah, of course. So I'm originally based out of Denver, Colorado. Um, didn't grow up in like the nice part of town. <laughs> so it was definitely like, you know, kind of run up in some of those areas. But I definitely remember it really well. Like there were certain days because um, I got a single mom. So um, my grandparents oftentimes were the ones that like picked me up from school and they didn't speak a lot of English. And so like, um, you know, when there were days where like I remember my grandfather like completely forgot like the house keys. So we ended up having to walk in the know like miles to his neighbor's house just while we waited for a ride like just so, so many crazy stories from there but I'm now based I'm still based out of Denver but I split my time between here and Newcastle in the UK so that's been a little bit crazy and a bit challenging because we used to do um, every three months but obviously with the pandemic and the way things have been right now it's just been like a bit challenging to travel a lot more hoops to jump through but we're making it happen <laughs> it sounds like you don't mind traveling so just just a quick kind of like trivia question how, how many countries in the world have you uh, traveled to oh my gosh okay no one has actually actually asked me the question i'm gonna have to like take a second to think about it <laughs> um definitely i would say nine countries nine countries yeah so still many more that I want to go to. We had so many other plans booked before the pandemic, obviously. Like we wanted to do like three months in Bali and do like the whole laptop lifestyle thing. Cause obviously, you know, we have, a, it's the privilege to be able to just like work from anywhere. And, and, and of those nine countries, are they in certain continents or are they all kind of like just in Europe, for example? Yeah, yeah. So obviously we've done a lot of Europe. Um, I've done a lot of like, you know, um, Caribbean, Mexico, that area, but Asia as well. So my family is originally from uh, Cambodia. So they immigrated to the states back in the 70s um, and that's been just like really awesome just being able to hear stories learn more about their journeys and obviously I was born here in the states but um, I've had the privilege to go back um, a couple of times since and it's it's changed so much from when I first went obviously being a third world country to now like they've definitely become a lot more westernized like it's 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 a really beautiful country so definitely recommend it for everybody that hasn't been there <laughs> based off all of your kind of travels so far like what is the what's the number one thing you've kind of learned about people and uh, culture? Yeah, oh my gosh, that's a great question. I feel like, um, you know, it all kind of comes down to like everybody, you know, everybody like loves that human connection, right? And so I always kind of go back, as long as you're a good person, you treat people like good people, you know, like have conversations, smile, you know, because I feel like we are zombies, like getting like hooked onto our phones, you know? So like with every country that I've been to, like I kind of see it, you know, where it's like, not, you know, there are still a lot of people that don't get hooked on their phones, right? They still enjoy, like, the sunshine, like, you know, the, just, you know, um, random conversations on the street with people. So that's, like, the one thing. It's, like, you know, pull yourself out of that. Go back to the human connection. <laughs> Based off what you told me, it, is, it is it fair to say that it's important to you to kind of find that balance between, between like, the, the, the digital and uh, spending quality time away from the screen? Oh, 100%. So I do this thing every Sunday where I call it like think time. So I do it from like, well, I'm a kind of crazy person, but I wake up at four in the morning <laughs> every single day. But I do try to spend like, you know, two or three hours of just like quiet time. On Sundays, particularly though, I will go on airplane mode, no screens, no nothing, just purely just think time. I was inspired by Bill Gates, obviously, how he does like think week where he goes up, you know, into his, his place in the mountains and just like does nothing but actually just think. And, you know, I feel like that's where I, I truly can tap into into my flow state and that's where all the good ideas come from so I personally like that just being able to detach because I'm not gonna lie like I think that's how like you know obviously you and I met on that app Clubhouse but Clubhouse really opened up my eyes because the very first week I got on Clubhouse I spent 
65 hours on the app, which is like insane. That's crazy. <laughs> um, I know, I know. But but like looking that back to that, right? Like it did have that human connection element that I was missing for so long. Um, obviously now, like, you know, I'm, I've been able to like tap into some of those connections, like meeting some of those people in real life, which has been really great. Um, obviously the opportunity to connect with you. Um, and so um, that's been really good. It's just kind of like a reminder, like you don't have to spend all your time on a screen. Like life doesn't happen there. You know, life happens out here in conversations and, you know, connections, relationships. Nice. And that's something that I'm uh, really starting uh, to think about. Like, Obviously, I mentioned just before we went on air that I redid my vision board and to, to see like what's important to me, both professionally and personally. And one of my biggest dreams and aspirations is, uh, well, a little bit pandemic depending, but is is to take the this whole concept of tea with Mike and storytelling and uh, community and connection and translating that into the real life, the streets, you know, and whether that's through doing, doing it as a, as a fringe show or as something like that, I, I think it, I think it'll add a, a really extra dimension to the, to, to the overall brand. Oh my gosh. Yes. That would be amazing. Cause it's again, like, it's all about that experience. Right. And I know you're like creating experiences here, but taking it to that next level with actual people like that'd be awesome because what i like about that that's a real opportunity um for people that support me especially in my local community which is what the tea with mike show is built from right the very first people on the show were just people like that that i knew in the in the in the local uh, uh, central alberta region and so to, to be able to potentially bring as many of those people together as possible in some sort of format even if it was like a live show would be really fulfilling and just like yeah. super goosebumpy and cool yes oh my gosh that would be amazing i'm looking forward to that so i'm just like i bet like i'm totally manifesting that for you too okay so you mentioned on your website that you like break dancing and so was it <laughs> and so this is the important stuff this is this is right? the stuff that i like <laughs> This is more important than maybe some of the other things, in my humble opinion. And so was this something uh, you started to do uh, growing up? And how did you get involved with this? Yeah, okay, so I totally, um, I come from a musical family. So obviously my dad played in a band, my brother plays um, guitar, keyboard, all that as well. And me, I cannot pick up instruments. However, the dance part, I can definitely pick that up. And so I've always um, done dance. I did a lot more like hip hop choreography, that kind of thing. And I really got into break dancing, but that was actually because um, I never made it with cheerleading. And with cheerleading, I remember like, you know, a couple of like, some of the girls are kind of mean girls, right? And <laughs> they kind of just like, you know, um, weren't really nice and like kind of bullied me a little bit. And I was like, you know what? Breakdancing is still like super athletic and I can still like do some of the same same things and and in like some of the stunts, if not better, right? So then like um, did that through high school. Um, in college, I was president of Pioneer Breakers over at um, DU, Denver University. So um, it was really cool. I got to like teach like foundational like breakdancing things. And then we used to compete. So um, yeah. So I used to do like battles and stuff like <laughs> just such a crazy time. My body doesn't move like that anymore, though. So it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm too afraid of breaking stuff. <laughs> so that sounds that sounds unreal. Like what what is your kind of favorite part about uh, break dancing as a whole? Yeah. So I think honestly, it was the, definitely the competition, but it was like friendly competition. Like even though we were like battling each other, it was so much fun fun just because like everybody like at the end would just like everyone was just there to have a good time like it's not like a, a nasty competition it's like a light-hearted fun competition it's <laughs> the uh, the breakdancing uh, community that you were pro i'm assuming were part of through these different competitions um what was monique known for what was like monique's like signature uh, move <laughs> that everyone was like hit it monique <laughs> oh my gosh yes okay well um I think I guess like at the dance battles like I would do like some top rocks and stuff and I would definitely like I always like got the audience going and I okay so I was I was known for this but I would like dance like a guy you know so I was just like yeah you know it's like I, I would like keep it feminine but also like super powerful so it's like definitely that boss you know um entity and that boss identity that I was trying to like embody it, it was with me for a long time <laughs> Obviously, as as you probably already uh, have figured, I know nothing about break dancing. But can you kind of expand <laughs> on some of your 
uh, favorite moves and kind of the, the complexity of these uh, moves? Yeah, totally. So I feel like um, I, I always kind of looked at it as like musicality. So definitely like you have to feel it, like you have to feel the music, right? And, and um, you know, it's kind of tapping into that flow state, right? So I always kind of bring it back to flow state, but that's the time where like, Time just goes by so fast. And then you look at the clock and it's like, oh my gosh, like an hour has already passed, right? And so the musicality, the feeling part, you know, I know this is a little bit new agey, but like that's the part that I like love the most. Um, but then obviously when you get into the technical aspects, you have like, you know, um, floor work, um, you also have footwork and then you have like the power moves. Um, I definitely spent a lot more like on floor work and footwork. Um, the only power move I could do was like a windmill. Couldn't do a head spin or things like that. But I had friends that like were really good at windmills and those kind of moves. But they would like get calluses on their heads and stuff. And I'm like, oh, I don't know if that's for me. Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's that's hilarious. Yeah. Like for, yeah. from an outside from an outside perspective, I didn't think you could get calluses yeah. <laughs> on, on your head from uh, breakdancing. So I learned something you are already in this oh gosh, uh, totally. in, in this conversation. So last thing on this for now. How, how many people would you say have seen um, uh, you perform uh, break dancing in like competitions and stuff? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Oh gosh. Because this was back during like my high school, college years and stuff. And this was actually back when the dance community here in Colorado wasn't as big as it is now. Um, obviously, like with the way things have changed, like it's definitely like opened up the doors for like everybody. Um, so I remember there would probably be like, I don't know, maybe 50 to 100 people at those events at any given time. So, um, but the community was like small enough, but big enough to where like I was always still meeting new people, but I would always like see familiar faces. So, and we still keep in touch. Like a lot of those people and I, we like, we still like have that connection. And that's the most important thing out of all of that is that is that connection that you've carried forward to this day because unfortunately you, you make all these great connection and memories with people but then that connection breaks after a certain time period so I find it fascinating that that some connections are only meant to last X amount of time in, in your journey with others uh, which are more difficult to find. And not, and it just sometimes depends on circumstances. It's supposed to last a lifetime, right? Yeah. Oh my gosh, one hundred percent. Because I was, I was just having a conversation with my friends about this the other day. Like, you know, um, there's some friends where we just pick up where we left off. Then there's some friends where it's just like, gosh, we've just changed so much. We've just lost touch. It's like there's nothing really there, and and it's okay for it to die off, right? Because people change, right? going to take a, a brief pause and then we're going to uh, dive back into your story and so uh, today's tea fact for the episode is uh, famous songs about tea uh tea for two no no nanetti and when i take my sugar to tea and this comes from uh, factretriever.com slash tea fact so it's always it's always cool to uh, obviously because uh, part of my culture and heritage is obviously being from england uh, hence the the podcast name uh, tea, uh, tea with Vax. So it's just cool, for, even even for my personal interest, to learn more about tea. And before you ask, I haven't actually listened to any of these songs, but I'm actually curious to know what they sound like. <laughs> no, totally. I was going to ask as well if, you, if you'd heard them before. <laughs> what were some of your favorite and least favorite subjects in school and why? Oh my gosh, um, let's see. So I actually am not a huge, I wasn't a huge like literature fan. I loved, I loved like, I love movies and like listening and stuff, but personally I'm not the best like reader and writer, so I definitely struggled. And I have like, and I, I kind of thank my parents for this, right? But like growing up, I had this like very interesting complex of winning and losing. So <laughs> you always had to make sure you had to win, right? Or else it was like the end all be all. And it's like, you had to make sure you did really well, at least in my household. And so um, I loved math. I loved physics because there's always one answer and there's always like different ways you could get there, but there was always one right answer. And so that was something that I always loved. Um, and physics always just like really fascinated me. So I'm like definitely really, really into like all like the space stuff. That's kind of like, um, I'm kind of like a closet space junkie. <laughs> but I love like, you know, kind of digging into some of those things. Um, but with physics, it was just like a great way to combine like math and science. So I was like, oh, this is awesome. Love it. <laughs> And then, and then what about some of your least favorite subjects? Yeah, so the least favorite subjects, um, yeah, I would definitely probably put it in like literature, reading, writing, the, some of those categories, because it wasn't something I was good at. So <laughs> that's why. And that's how you, and that's how you 
kind of define your favorite and least favorite is by how good you were at a particular subject? Yeah, at the time, um, for sure, just because of like, you know, um, how I thought of like winning and losing, right? And it's like, oh, I knew that I would do really well at this. So that meant the world to like my family, my parents, because they were definitely a big part of my life as well. Um, and then like, you know, um, we got rewarded for like good grades and stuff. So my mom was always just making sure it's like, how are you doing on this thing? And I did have to try a lot harder, though, with reading and writing. So it was like, oh, OK, definitely not something I look forward to. <laughs> so, so I believe from your website that your dream job was to be a pilot. This is super cool. Why was yeah. this the dream? Oh my gosh. Well, I think it had to do with just being able to go anywhere, right? And and um, I've had the privilege to um, take a couple of lessons as like a student pilot. And I don't know, I didn't know how to describe it, but the feeling was just like a rush. And I was like, this is kind of like driving in four dimensions. I don't know what the fourth dimension is, but it just <laughs> felt like amazing. <laughs> and so um, always wanted to um, be a pilot. That was like the dream job. But when I was taking uh, my examinations, I totally failed the uh, depth, depth perception test um, with the eyes. And you see these two dots basically, and they look exactly the same to me. And I was like, yeah, there's no way I can see the difference. So, which is fine. Cause I'm um, now knowing that like, you know, what our pilots go through, I'm like, yes, I'm glad they're the ones like, you know, flying us around. <laughs> yes, no, that's so true. So my grandfather um, actually has his uh, pilot license and um, to fly like small, like false seater planes. And I, I think, I, I think this is super cool. And so, he, he used to live in uh, the Channel Islands, which are some islands just off Fr France, basically, like in the middle of the ocean. And so uh, w when I was in England, we uh, obviously went on holiday a few times. And so he flew me and my dad from like well, like, like the island that they were on to, um, to, to another island. And I'm like, not everybody oh can say that they've been uh, flown in an airplane by their gr grandfather, right? <laughs> That is so cool. Oh my gosh. I bet it was beautiful too. Like, just yeah, it, yeah, yeah it's a it was a beautiful uh, sunny day uh, just across just across the ocean. You see the pigeons and like, uh, and, and, and it was just, it was just stunning. Those sorts yeah. of moments and things that you just have to appreciate in the moment. Yeah, of course. I, mean, I bet it was breathtaking. Those are the moments you never forget. Cause it's like, where else are you going to like ever experience that? <laughs> Exactly. On the depth perception thing, my, 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 originally my dad always wanted to be a pilot too, but the thing that, and he, and he took a few lessons, uh, like just just like you for like birthday presents and stuff. Yeah. The thing, but the thing that unfortunately stopped him going any further, apart from maybe time, was uh, see the two dots kind of like you. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. It is, yeah. And it's so, and it's so more, and it's so much more common. And you think, think of the amount of people that want to do something like that, but the eyes just weren't built that way, right? Exactly, exactly, one hundred percent. So, man, it's it's definitely like, um, it's been really cool though, just being able to like still have the privilege to do that. But obviously, like you know, I wouldn't be able to take it any further than just like you know, small planes. <laughs> What were some of your favorite memories growing up and why? Oh gosh, um, let's see. I guess some of my favorite memories were um, some of the trips that my mom had taken us on. Because obviously like single mom and she was always working all the time. So we definitely saw a lot more of my, our, our grandparents. Um, and I saw, we saw our dad like every couple of the weekends. But I remember my mom like would always work so hard to like plan trips for us. And she would save up every penny that she had, all the vacation time that she had. And I remember the very first time we rode on an airplane was a trip to L.A. From, um, from here from Denver and um, she took us all over the place we got so much good food we went to Chinatown got to see the ocean for the first time and those are some of the best memories and this was before um, obviously a lot of the um, airline regulations were a lot more strict I remember my brother really wanted these like little baby turtles because he was obsessed with like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and my mom like totally Put them in her handbag and brought them on the airplane so she had this little like tub of water with two little baby turtles and <laughs> my brother still had them for like a good like 15 years um and it was just kind of like that was like you know definitely a memory that's gonna stick with me forever <laughs> yes definitely because you definitely couldn't do that these days exactly oh my gosh totally well and and it's like you know it was just such like a random thing, right? Because it's just like, he wants baby turtles. <laughs> Didn't want anything else. Because like my brother and I like total opposites because I'm definitely all about like nice things, nice clothes. Like I love shopping. My brother's just like super chill. Good video game and he's like all set, you know, but then he saw these baby turtles and he couldn't leave without him. <laughs> oh, wow. I'm glad you're on the podcast. You have some really cool stories. 
<laughs> there's i feel like there's so many random ones but... the random ones are, are the best sometimes my friends get really confused when we're hanging out because we'll be talking about one thing and uh out my brain i'll make a connection to something like completely different <laughs> and, and, and they're like what are you talking about like what did you just what did you just take i'm like nothing i just had this flashback to whatever it was right? yes oh my gosh totally my friends tell me the same thing they're like monique you just had a squirrel moment and i'm like what do you mean because like, your mind just goes from here to here to here to here to here like all the time and i'm just like i don't know i've people just learn to live with it at this point <laughs> and and you and you know as much as i do that you have to stay in that moment otherwise it'll be gone yeah exactly <laughs> So I, I believe you uh, started your first company when you were 16. So can you tell us a little bit about it and kind of what inspired you to start it? Yes, of course. So that was in high school. Um, and so I went to a kind of like a like a hybrid trade school. So it's called CEC Middle College Denver. At the time, there was like, you know, less than 30 kids in my graduating class. It was super small, um, but we, it wasn't like a traditional high school. You actually got to take like career education classes. So there was like construction classes, like automotive repair, fashion design, photography, filmmaking, so you could explore all these different things. And so I was in the film school and the photography school. And so um, I loved photography. I just had so much fun with it. And then um, my a friend of mine was actually like, hey, your portraiture is like really good. He's like, will you do my senior pictures? And I was like, I don't know. It's okay. I'm not that good. And he's like, I'll pay you. Kind of like opened the door. And then like so many more people were asking me to like take their senior pictures. And I was like, there, I could be onto something here. So then I, that was kind of like the birth of like my first business. So I called it Sixation. I don't, I, ca I can't really remember how the name came about, but this is kind of like where me and my friends, cause we were like in the breakdancing world, right? We would make like random names and like, you know, call things out like, oh, yes. that's totally weak sauce or that's the Sixation. I was like, that's the name. So I, like, I totally took it, ran with it, branded everything with that. And then I found my niche, my, my niche or niche in um, automotive um, uh, photography. So I shot for a couple of like automotive magazines and I personally really enjoy that because I love the car scene and it was just like really fun. Um, I'm kind of getting to do that. And then people still kept like, you know, asking me to take pictures, you know, and, and more portraiture stuff. But my passion was more in like the photography for cars and motorcycles, things like that. So that's kind of like the first business and how it was born. And so what were some of the, the most challenging things about starting the company and what kind of new skills did you have to develop and kind of what did you learn about yourself in the process? Yeah, great question. So I feel like in the very beginning, it was um, it was a bit of a challenge just like with all the organization because I didn't know what I didn't know. When I got paid, I would just like go out to eat, right? And so like money management was definitely number one. <laughs> Good stuff. Um, totally. So remembering like you have to save some of that for taxes, things like that. But as a 16 year old, like, what do you know, right? And then obviously like, you know, I didn't have um, like a lot of my, um, you know, with my relatives and family members, like immigrant family, right? So what do immigrant families do? They they work hard. So it was all about like, you know, go to school, get a good job, work hard. So the whole entrepreneurial thing, the business thing was like 100% new. Um, a lot of the new skills, I would just like, you know, use Google University. <laughs> and nice. so that's kind of like how I would figure out like, okay, I need to learn how to like Photoshop this thing a little bit better or, you know, some of the things I didn't learn while I was in school. Um, also too, like, project management, calendar management, because I was doing thing, everything on paper. And then like, I had some of those instances where like, I would double book myself and things like that. So, you know, not good experiences, but all growing pains, like learning from those. <laughs> would you say if, would you say if somebody's interested in entrepreneurial shapings at starting a business, it's, it's, it's kind of good uh, to get your feet wet as early as possible, if you can, to learn some of the uh, lessons that you've learned early on. Yeah, 100%. Well, I always say it's also never too late to build your empire, especially if you feel like, you know, you're um, at a point right now where you're a lot older in life and everything too. I still think you should still go for it, right? And with entrepreneurship though, I feel like the internet has also kind of glamorized it and made it look really easy. Like, oh, you can just stay at all the nice like luxury hotels and have all the nice cars. And it's really not like that. It's a lot of like, long nights, early mornings, you know, um, it's a lot of also sacrifice, like time with friends, times with family. Um, but um, I also feel like too, don't be in a hurry to hire people right away and start like, you know, putting off all of your tasks, right? I feel like there's a lot of power behind um, starting with, um, you know, just bootstrapping and just doing everything on your own back and just like seeing what you can do with that first. 
Um, I always say like make a mess and clean it later. So get to a point where you're just like crazy busy, right? And you have so much coming in and you need the team and the infrastructure to help support you. That's the time you should be looking, right? Um, Because I feel like at that point, that's when it makes sense to start investing. Because I feel like, you know, with the internet and how they glamorize entrepreneurship, they make it look really easy and you can just hire people to do things for you. No, you have to like go back and do the hard work first. And, you know, they always say like that, there's that quote, like, you know, it takes 10 years to become an overnight success, but nobody ever sees those long nights late, um, you know, early mornings, sacrificing the family time, friend time, right? So great advice. And something uh, also for me, as I'm in the early days of st- uh, yeah. starting a business, and as I continue uh, to grow on my journey that I'll like keep keep thinking about because I'm only really because yeah. I'm only like two years really into the podcast mm-hmm. and I'm only like six months into the business so in it, it, it based off what you just said I've, I've still got a very 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 long way to go yeah well and but at the same time right I know it's cliche as it sounds but it truly is about the journey so like if you wake up every morning and you're just excited about starting the day like you are jumping out of the bed to make your dreams happen I feel like that's when you've made it like that's when you just like really like untapped it there you know because like at the end of the day it's like you have to have fun like you have to like you know really enjoy with what you're doing and you know um even though like there are times when you might like experience failures I think as an entrepreneur as well, you have to seek opportunities where you are pushed outside of your comfort zone, because those are the moments when, you know, you can, you know, if you're running towards like opportunities for failure, you know, you're going to learn from those things. But if you're running towards opportunities to push yourself out of your comfort zone, that's when you can really push push yourself to your maximum potential. And I think that's when the doors start to really open for you as well. Can you, can you tell us about your journey from school to studying business administration at the University of Denver? Yeah, of course. I feel like I could talk about this like all day. <laughs> um, I feel like um, it was interesting because like obviously coming from an immigrant family, it's like, what do you know what to do, right? Just work hard, get a good job. The, the very first major I chose was actually aerospace engineering because again, like the pilots, the flight situation, like physics, like I loved all of that stuff. But when I started actually doing the classes, I was like, this is way harder than I thought it was going to be. And then um, I did withdraw from some of those classes because I didn't want to have like a fail on my on my report card, right? So I did withdraw from some of those and I switched my major over to business and finance. Um, and so I majored in finance and people used to tease me because it was like, oh, you just put a dollar sign in front of the numbers and suddenly you understand the math. And I'm like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, just keep me around the money. I got this. <laughs> nice. Um, so that was kind of like the journey there. Um, but there was like a lot of... Um, other things too, because I was the first in my family to also um, go to college um, in my generation. And so congratulations. I also, thank you so much. Um, so I also didn't really know exactly which college to choose. And DU really stood out to me, even though it was a private, um, private school, I did get some scholarships from there as well, but it was super duper expensive. And I look back sometimes and I'm like, man, if I went to a state school, I could have saved so much money. But at the same time, I wouldn't change it because of all the connections that I made. Like it completely changed my life. Like I'd never like experienced like that, those kind of connections before and just seeing where other people came from and the kind of wealth that they came from. And I was just like, wow, there's like this much money in the world. Like I had no idea. Like it just really, really opened up my mind to like what else was possible out there. Yes, and it definitely takes something extreme from your current circumstances and environment to see what's possible. Yeah, 100%. So it was definitely like a game changer because I was just like, wow, this is crazy. (laughs) So according to your LinkedIn page, you also studied fashion management, buying and merchandising and photography at the University of Westminster at, at the same time as the University of Denver. So kind of what inspired you to do this? And how challenging was it for you to fit in all of these studies while still time finding time to be involved in the uh, the hip hop and dance society? Yeah. Oh my gosh, it's like totally blast from the past. <laughs> um, so actually, the the University of Westminster in London it was actually a study abroad experience. So I was I felt very fortunate to be able to take part in that. And so, um, thank you. And so, uh, with uh, the opportunities in, um, that I had from high school. Um, I did actually graduate high school with a lot of college credits already completed, so I could have finished my time at DU in two years, but I basically spent one year just like 
taking in the college experience, having fun, taking the electives and doing my study abroad. So that's why the classes are super random, like fashion management, merchandising, photography. And those were all more so for like skills that I wanted to learn with the photography and the film side. Um, but fashion was always something that I've, I'm still interested in. I've always been interested in, like always love nice clothes, just looking good, right? <laughs> and so it's always been a passion of mine. Um, and where, you know, why not like London, like obviously fashion capital of the world. Like, you know, it was just like such an amazing experience um, to be able to have that opportunity. And then, and then coming back, then it was like graduation time. So even though I could have finished early, I'm glad I like took on that um, extra year just to be able to like, you know, have fun. <laughs> hey, Sarah, I, I'm kind of glad that you clarified kind of like how, how you did it because when I was yeah. doing that re research uh, before this, I was like, how did is she a superwoman? How did she have time to do all all of this? At, like, I mean, I've been to like college for four years, and I'm like, I didn't have time to do all of that. So, find your approach to education uh, interesting, and because when like when you're coming out of school, they present you they, they they just present you with the traditional paths. You'd take this program for four years, or this for that, or you can do this. But there isn't very much like creativity in it. Like, it sounds like you've. I kind of formulated uh, your own education path and you've and yeah. correct me if I'm wrong but you've identified skills in a whole range of areas um that you thought at the time could help you in the present 100 well I feel like I'm um, with finance that was kind of like my backup right because it was like okay I can always like go you know have a career in finance um if anything but the creative stuff that's like where my passion truly lied and 100 you're right like I've always looked at education more as like a privilege and an opportunity because obviously learning more about like you know my family's story coming from a third world country and how education is just like, you know, a privilege as well. So I'm like, I've always wanted to make sure that I just do really well because it's like, we have this opportunity. We need to seize this and do really well and make sure that, you know, we are, cause like, I, I don't know, like I looked at like some other students growing up and this was like grade school, right? But I remember one of the other kids would just like not even use a ruler to make their squares and triangle. And I'm just like, you guys, like we, we got this. Like you know, That would be me. I'd, I'd be the one not using the ruler. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Well, no worries. But it's like, and, and everybody's like got their own like story and stuff too, right? But like, as I was thinking about it, I was like, yeah, I definitely want to make the most of this. And, you know, not only for myself, but just to make like my family, you know, my heritage, like, you know, proud as well. So that was like a big part of it. <laughs> and so out of all of the compilation of um, different things uh, you, uh, you took through your kind of educational component of your uh, story and journey, uh, which one of them were you most surprised about how much uh, you you learned in that particular area of study which one of those was um, yeah. is the most underrated so I feel like I feel like it was definitely the photography piece um because even though like we we did learn a lot of theory and we did learn learn a lot of practice but we also had to use a lot of our own creativity to you know make this thing happen so when I got accepted to the program you actually had to submit a full portfolio like like you know everything's got to be really nice and printed like mounted and all that stuff and um and then I remember <clears> like uh, I wanted to actually uh, travel and I wanted to kind of see like, you know, other parts of Europe. And so uh, my friends and I were like, yeah, let's do it. Like we're super American about this. Right. So like we took a weekend trip to Paris, but I did miss a Friday class. And when I came back, I was really used to like in America, you know, if you miss a class, you talk to your professor and they're like, they'll sort you out. Right. It's like, oh yeah, yeah. Just go check this out. Like, this is what you missed. When I went to my photography professors, they were like, so and I was just like what do you mean so like, this is and no sympathy for me whatsoever and so I literally because I'd never like remember, like education's different in England obviously and so like it was just like a different thing there and because of that experience I felt like I failed. obviously failed myself because I didn't show up for that Friday class but like talked to all the other students like what did I miss what did I miss and I spent a lot of extra studio time just getting things right and so the project I remember was on like diffusing light so it was like using like a lot of like soft boxes and using a lot of white to diffuse light right so I really thought outside of the box and actually I think my work is still posted up there right now so I ended up having a model um I blew up like 50 balloons white balloons and I like attached them all to her so I made her look like a grape but that was my that was my um project for the the whole diffusion of light and it ended up being like the best one so I was like all right, they don't hate me. Like I, I made up for this, so. <laughs> that's that's. It sounds um, like a really. It just sounds cool. Like, I think definitely thinking outside of the box. Yeah. Oh, one hundred percent for sure. <laughs> Can you tell us about your journey, obviously from university to this is going more into the professional world now. To first of all being 
a financial advisor to co-founding Supportive Holdings, LLC. Ah, no worries. So um, with, um, in the financial, um, I went to a lot of the career fairs and I really enjoyed that. So I had another, um, uh, another internship where I was getting paid the same amount as like another guy. And it was like really unfortunate because I felt like I was doing all of the work, um, but we were getting paid the same amount where I was like, okay, I don't want this anymore. So then I went into the financial advising space where it was all commissions based. So you're not getting paid based upon your time. You're getting paid based upon results. And I was like, okay, yes, I can totally make this happen. So it took about six, um, I was there for about six and a half years. And um, it was a really great journey because, like, really helped me test my limits as well. Um, just like learn more about myself, like what makes me tick, what makes me like, um, you know, really uh, push myself to the next level. Um, I ended up becoming one of the top ten female financial advisors in the Western regions. Um, wow! And, yeah, thank you. And so it was a really kind of a crazy experience. And then I swear, Mike, it was like a movie moment where one day we were celebrating um, a coworker's um, 50th anniversary at the firm and having cake. Yeah. So at the firm, right. So it was definitely a lot older. And then like, I remember like we were having cake and all of a sudden I couldn't breathe. I was just like, Oh my gosh. And then I had that moment where I was like, I don't know if I could do this forever. Like, I don't know. I don't know if this is great. So at that moment, there was like a lot of other like personal things going on in my life too. But I thought that was like, okay, my entire life is just like shaken up right now. I think now is the time to like figure out like what I want to do, what, what makes, you know, what I'm passionate about. So I dove into the world of entrepreneurship um, with supportive holdings. So I did meet, um, I met, I met uh, my business partner through um, a realtor. Um, and so he and I got connected, but I did make a couple of mistakes. So I didn't like, you know, do a lot of research. I think I was just very like excited to jump into the world of entrepreneurship. Um, and so with that business, unfortunately it did fail. Um, I did lose a lot of like my personal um, assets and stuff in there as well. And so kind of coming off of the back of that, I was just like, I need to go back into finance. Like I need to recover mentally, financially, like, you know, it just totally drained me. Um, but, you know, I'm grateful for the experience because of all the connections that I made, all the lessons that I learned. Um, and then Carlton actually was the one who challenged me. He was like, I don't see you working for anybody else. I don't think you'd be back in finance. He's like, why don't you try the consulting thing? He's like, you're really good at business. And I was like, I don't know. I don't think anyone's going to want to take my advice because I just failed off of the back of business. <laughs> like, I don't know about this. But fortunately, like he was like, don't worry, like, I'll be your first client. Like, let's test this out. And then since working with him, I helped him forex his business. And I was like, okay, I think I know what I'm doing. And, yeah, and you got this. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Right. And then I was like, yeah, I think I could do this. And then the next client I started working. Yeah, I think I know what I'm doing. So that's been kind of like a cool experience. So since helping that client get to seven figures, that's really what helped me get the confidence to like, you know, continue on this consulting practice and help other businesses. And what I've realized is that like, that's kind of like my mission and my purpose in life is to help people win. Like no matter where you're at any stage of the game, like I help people win. Like that's what I want to be known for. Can you tell us what Supportive Holdings LLC is and kind of what inspired you to found it and it's what were kind of some of your goals in setting this up? Yeah, definitely. So, um, I, so with my business partner and I, it was a CBD um, and hemp company. So we did create it as um, an international hemp and dis a CBD distribution company. So we had um, a location here in the states, obviously, and then we did kind of set up a cool like arrangement in Europe. Um, so we were importing and exporting, um, which was really interesting. Um, and what was really um, what I was really passionate about was that it truly could help people. And obviously with the cannabis industry, it has such a negative stigma to it. Right. Um, and a lot of people like really frowned upon but when you look at it, the actual like health benefits and because it's natural, it can truly save lives and it can really like help people like, you know, with a lot of like ailments that they're facing. So that was one thing that really like, you know, um, I was really like passionate about and drawn to um, with, um, with my business partner that I had at the time. So how challenging was it for you to educate people about the potential benefits of cannabis and change their perceptions? How did you set about doing this and how successful were you? Yeah, definitely. So it was definitely really tough because obviously it's got so like years of like, you know, negativity, um, you know, like a lot of the negative stigmas and perceptions behind it. Um, and, you know, because it's something that was still very new for a lot of people, I would actually do a lot of writing, like technical writing. So I would pull in like stats, facts, facts, figures, like things like that. But I would also um, go and actually talk to real people and like try to get actually real testimonials. 
So people with real stories and how it's like truly changed their lives, either like with their skincare or more serious things like with epilepsy, things like that, you know, it actually really helps a lot of people. Um, and so like having to actually get real stories from people, that was definitely one thing that helped um, other people kind of like see like, oh, okay, yeah, like that's a real person, like it can help them. So you then set up Monique Sa Consulting. So kind of what motivated you to do this and what was your mission? Yeah, so um, I guess the main thing was obviously I needed to recover financially and mentally, obviously um, off the back of um, with supportive, um, not going as planned. Um, but uh, Carlton, my partner, he was kind of like, um, you know, when I was ready to go back into finance, he's like, I don't see you working for anybody else. And so I do thank him for that, you know, really helping um push me and give me the confidence to go off with this because he was like, you're really good at business. He was like, I think you should give it a try. He's like, I'll be your first client. And so when I was talking to him about it, he was the one that shared like, yeah, you know, like I'll be your first client. And then I helped him like forex the company. And so that was definitely like, you know, a big win there. But then um, obviously with other clients I served shortly after, I helped them get to seven figures. So I was like, okay, yeah, I definitely know what I'm doing. So definitely got a lot more confidence in myself to like, you know, make this happen for people. Um, and the main mission and purpose I have now is like to help people win. So no matter like what stage of the game they're at in their business, whether if they're just starting or they're more seasoned, you know, they're plateauing, costs are rising, they feel like they're just hitting this income ceiling. That's where I can come in and definitely help them take it to the next level. Amazing. It sounds uh, very fulfilling. Yeah, 100%. It's definitely been a game changer. And, but it took that entire journey of like, you know, my figuring out my life <laughs> to figure out where we are now. So. This is super important part. Everyone that people uh, perceive to be successful in their own journey have had their struggles and challenges along the way. Oh, 100%. Definitely agree. So on your website, you say... You don't have to be the loudest person in the room to make an impact. And if you're an introvert like me, I realize I would have never gone for some of the opportunities thrown at me. So can you tell us a little bit more about what this means and how you use this observation to help others? Yeah, totally. So I always like call myself the resident introvert. Um, I'm really good at like one-on-ones like this, but put me in a big room, I'm like, super introvert I'm like just gonna stand by the wall like <laughs> and so um I always kind of like bring back this distinction though it's like you know you can still make a lot of things happen even as an introvert because actually I feel like introverts have a superpower of being extremely good listeners and being extremely observant because where I feel like um at least with the clients that I serve now I'm really good at seeing their blind spots because you know they may have like one direction that they're heading towards but I can definitely help point out like oh actually have you thought of this have you thought of this and they're just like no actually I haven't even considered that but again as an introvert and just listening more and just being like a lot more observant I've been able to catch on to a lot of those things yeah it's a and some of my, I agree with you and some of my favorite um conversations that I have a or with introverts, I'm definitely not an introvert. I'm like 100% <laughs> in the other direction. And so the way you describe that, um, like I'm all about like see one way or the highway, yeah. basically. If yeah. 99 people go left, I'm definitely going right. And oh so, my gosh, totally. Uh, uh, and so you're right. It, the, the You highlight the importance of like listening and getting different people's uh, perspectives. So at the and le and also learning from e each other so that you d save time and don't make the same mistakes mm -hmm. and that and that's something I I'm starting to realize is it's much better to be just up front and be like I don't know this um and ask somebody that you think has already had that experience than to pretend you know it all and live that experience and then you've lost a lot of time and you're not making progress yeah oh I completely agree 100% well that's why I always tell everybody it's like you should get a mentor or if not or a coach or uh, or somebody like that too because it's like it's a great way to like pay for speed it's like why would you not want to find out a faster better cheaper way to do things right <laughs> I believe you offer clients the Monique SAS signature boss system so can you explain to everyone what this is kind of the goals behind it and then how you came up with the idea. Yeah, totally. So um, it is my signature system when I take all my clients through. We do start with the foundations of mindset. Um, you know, we obviously walk through like, you know, the market, the methods, the money and more like um, leading up to like, you know, after you've like kind of like built up all of these pillars. Um, and I also kind of like the M's because it goes with my name, Monique, right? <laughs> um, but the 
this is kind of like what I've learned off of the back of like all the experience that I've had. So I've always had a coach, always been a big believer in have like your mindset right before you can start tackling some of these things, like, you know, building up your audience or, you know, and um, building up your market or tapping into like the right methods, like what strategies, things you should use. I feel like a lot of people try to run before they can walk. And so that's kind of like why my, um, my signature system is all about like, you know, making sure that you have these foundational pillars in order before you even start that. Um, because we want to make sure that you have all of those ducks in a row. So that way when you do start hitting the ground running you already know like what you need to do it sounds like you've got it it sounds like you've got it figured out it's for it's very it's very clear and, and methodical did you when you created the system did you base it off some of the things that you've learned through business up until that point yes 100 percent um from business, from my personal experiences, um, things like that, just because I feel like they all kind of like, um, kind of collide and play into each other. Um, because as I was like, um, building it out, I do have a very analytical mind. And so I never thought I was like super creative, but you know, even if you're trying to build out like a system or an automation, you're still technically using your creative mind. So it was kind of like these two things colliding with each other. Um, that was kind of like the inspiration for how I like, um, built that out. But I wanted to make sure Everything has a recipe for success, and if it's a formula, it's that means you can repeat it and execute it and win every single time. As I mentioned earlier, you are the director of operations at Collision Drumsticks. So, do you want to expand? Because I know you touched on it briefly uh, earlier. How did this opportunity uh, come about, and what have you learned about yourself uh, so far in doing this role? Yeah, definitely. So um, obviously the opportunity came about um, with Carlton as my partner asking me um, about like, you know, doing the coaching consulting thing and him being my first client. So I basically became his like interim COO, you know, kind of that director of ops, but interim, right? But I'm still here, which is very exciting because obviously we've been able to still like, you know, make massive changes. And the way that I've obviously always looked at things is that, you know, in business, you either have the offensive side or the defensive side. The offensive side are the ones that are doing a lot of the marketing, the pushing, the sales, like things like that. But you also need the defensive side, these systems, the structures to make it happen because what if the worst case scenario happens where you get a ton of sales, but no backup, like, you know, back end system to like, you know, make sure that you actually deliver on these things. So there needs to be the balance of both, which is where I come in, um, you know, definitely helping with the operation side of things, just making sure that, you know, like if, you know, that way, like Carlton can focus on doing what he loves and then we can kind of like pick up the pieces to make it happen. Sounds like you need, like you said, like both, both, like both parts, like if you, if you take it into like a sports analogies, um, you, you you can't have a class a striker that scores 52 goals if he's like the only player on the pitch and the other team can score yeah. like 53, right? Volunteering seems to play in a, a big role in who you are. So why is volunteering so important to you? And what do you gain personally um, from your volunteering experiences? Yeah, so I guess it always goes back to like, you know, um, I always kind of look at it as like time and money, right? And so like with the nonprofits that I've like worked with, um, I've had the privilege to um, be on the um, executive board for a couple of these and the founding board for a couple of these nonprofits. So it's really exciting. Um, and I feel like the main thing is like, I feel like I'm doing a lot of things here and I still want to help people win and whatever they do, right? But I've always had the dream of like, you know, having my own foundation one day. So it's still a dream, right? Um, but I've always wanted to do it in a way where like, I can, I, I, there's so many causes I'm like really passionate about, but I can never pick one. So what I was doing is that every single year I would choose an organization. I would put time and money into that organization. And the next year I would do a different one. And that's kind of how I want my foundation to be. Um, so I'm kind of like visioning about that. And that's kind of like how um, I want it to be structured because that way at least I can to like have a hand in all of these different organizations and still be able to help a lot of the causes that I've been passionate about. And what would you say, what, what's the number one th like thing that you get out of volunteering? Because obviously it's, you have to make a commitment to make an impact, right? 100%. Um, I feel like the main thing that I get back from it is obviously like, you know, um, just like feeling good about being able to help, but seeing those people that, you know, like the, the nonprofits are serving really make a difference into their lives because I feel very privileged with all the experiences that I've had growing up, but not a lot of, not a lot of other people have those same experiences. You know, um, the starting point is a little bit farther for them. And so anything that can help um, definitely, uh, you know, has been like a really great part that's like inspired me to be able to help serve them as well. Do you have an example maybe, uh, obviously without getting too uh, personal, uh, 
of a time that you impacted as somebody through volunteering? Yeah, totally. Well, um, so it was one of the nonprofit. It was it was it was called Feel the Beat. So it was obviously for children that are deaf or hard of hearing, and it was um, a dance studio. So it was founded by Jerry Majewski, and so she um, she's awesome. And every time she would lead our board meetings, um, she would actually teach us sign language as well, which was like really cool because he got to learn new skills there. But it was a working board. And so um, what the organization was um, there to do is just obviously help provide um, kids with the space to be able to like, you know, have fun, be able to like, you know, do dance. And so the dance floor itself, it actually had like, you know, some it was like it had some like military technology and stuff in there like things that were really cool so um i don't exactly know all the mechanics behind it but it would actually it would actually vibrate with the music so like the wow. children that yeah so like the children that were dancing there they could actually truly feel the beat and obviously dance has been a big part of my life too so it was just like being able to see their smiles and just having a blast you know like that was just like really like heartwarming I noticed that you're a founding board member of the Feel the Beat Dance Studio. So can you expand on what this is and, and how you um, set about developing a, curricula a curriculum to aid the experience of music and dance uh, for children who are uh, deaf or hard of hearing? Yeah, of course. So um, as one of the founding board members, we did have to do a lot of the work to get this thing off the ground. So. What that meant is that, you know, we weren't like a traditional board where you can just come in and just like give advice. We actually like took on tasks. <laughs> so like, you know, just to see this thing through. So as we were like um, going to file, um, Jerry was like, you know, really um, kind of spearheading this whole thing. And she found all of us to help us be a part of this based upon our different skill sets. And so I came in with the financial background. So I definitely helped with a lot of like the fundraising as well as like um, some of the accounting and bookkeeping side. Um, there, she brought in some other um, board members that had more of like the tech and marketing experience. So that's kind of like how she had built this. So when she was going to file for her 501c3, um, you can see all of our names on there um, as founding board members, which is really exciting. Super cool. And is it still going to to, to this day as we sit here recording yeah. this? Yeah, 100%. So I know obviously it's been a bit challenging with COVID and everything too, but you know, they're still making it happen, which has been exciting. Again, like some of the other uh, things that you've uh, done, it, it must have been really rewarding and uh, fulfilling to uh, to play a small role in um, helping a, a disadvantaged uh, community uh, live life to the uh, the best they can. And I truly believe that everybody's equal. And um, it must have given you and you can correct me again if I'm wrong, but a, a real a sense of appreciation uh, for what you have. 100%. And I always think about that, you know, it's like gratitudes, right? I always start every single day with gratitudes, but we take so many of the smallest things for granted, like movement, like hearing, like, you know, things like that, you know, where we definitely take it for granted. And so like, I'm definitely like very grateful and very appreciative of everything. And so that's why I feel like, you know, I do at least, you know, my part, and even if it's a small part, it's still making a difference. Yeah. And then just expanding on what you said, and definitely not on the, at the same level. I, I remember last year when I injured my, injured my foot, I slipped in the bathtub and it, it got, it, it got, it was, it got super, um, painful and it's and it's got, uh, got a bunch of like swelling so i basically had to keep the foot in the air for like eight to ten hours a day for like oh, nearly a month and that sounds like something very minor but you you don't realize the inconvenience when you like can't walk properly or exactly. and you're limited to a bed for 60 percent mm -hmm. of the day and you you have to take all these medications at certain times. Yeah. It, 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 it gets really challenging mentally. It's like mm -hmm. wasting so much time here. You lose interest in life because you can't do anything. But it's a, but at the end of the day, you know, it's usually only a temporary thing whereas other people yeah. have to live with the, these challenges, unfortunately, like permanently. And so even things like that, like have helped shape my perspective on what's really important. And it's, and it's always an ongoing challenge, isn't it? Like, and evaluating where you're at and knowing that other people definitely have it worse than you. I agree, like 100%. And that's why I always say, like, you know, we take the smallest things for granted. So it's like, you know, if you if you are like, and that's why, like, I always think about, like, everybody's been working from home, you know, especially with, like, the virtual, like, everything's virtual now, right? But they say sitting is the new smoking. So I'm like, you know, if you can oh, wow. go for Oh, yeah. So, and it's not really good for you, right? So it's like, if you can stand or go for a walk, go do those things because you can, you know, so. And this 
definitely uh, ties directly into what I'm about to say. So, what do you do on a daily basis to look after your mental and physical health? Yeah, 100%. So I definitely, um, I, I've always wanted to get started on 75 hard. I don't know if you've heard of that, where it's like the two workouts a day, you drink a gallon of water. Oh, no wow. Cheap, yeah, no, no alcohol. Um, oh, yeah, definitely. Well, I've started it maybe three or four times, but I've also failed those three or four times. <laughs> so I've been trying to ease myself into it. So I do, um, I definitely start every single day with movement. So I do try to get the workout in, but I wake up at 4 a.m. every day. So I get my time started right there. And I'm a big believer in the morning routine because that's definitely what helps me get started to just like seize the day and, you know, really take advantage of that. Um, but my morning routine starts the night before. So I'm in bed by like 8.30 or 9 o'clock. <laughs> so I go to sleep super early. Um, and then that's been really good for like, you know, my mental health and well-being too, because if I can keep myself on a schedule, um, so I do like the meditation in, in the evening and then I start my day with um, a workout and movement. Um, and then I also read um, the 10 pages every day. So as I mentioned, like, you know, I kind of struggle with reading and writing but that's something that I've been just been pushing myself to do because I know it's going to be better for me um and then it's been good to have that quiet time as well because you know once the day starts it's like it's a madhouse like <laughs> like you know emails going off all the notifications are going off but that's like my time to just like really center myself and just get grounded and so is, is the reason why you get up at what some people would perceive an early time is it because there's less noise and less distraction and and it's good for your productivity yeah 100 percent. i think that's definitely um been the main reason and i think i, I do have a little bit of an advantage because traveling back and forth between here and the uk i'm still on uk time <laughs> um but i've all but i also tried to like I, I definitely kept that same routine while i was over there as well What's kind of next for you, both personally and professionally? Yeah, so I guess the next big thing is obviously um, now that I'm like president of the BNC Speakers, um, this is a new role that I stepped into this year. Um, ben Newman, he's one of the top 50 speakers in the world, but he was actually one of my very first mentors way back in the finance days, like almost 10 years ago, which is crazy. Crazy, um, yeah. Yeah, but we actually reconnected as well through Clubhouse. And he's like, I love what you're doing through Clubhouse. He's like, do you want to help take over the speakers division? And I'm like... Yes, absolutely. I don't know much about the space, but I've always wanted to be on his team because as you and I have discussed earlier, like it's all about the human connections and the relationships, right? So I feel so privileged and just blessed every single day I get to wake up and work with this team. And so um, as president of the Speakers Bureau, I get to connect um, organizations, athletic teams, um, universities with top keynote speakers. So I feel like I have this little black book of like the top keynote speakers world-class like really amazing individuals because obviously ben's like one of the top 50 speakers in the world there's also a roster of um pro athletes hall of famers a ufc champions executives leaders ceos investors and more and i get to i get to connect and work with them so i feel like i have the dream job <laughs> that does sound that does sound like the, the dream I, I'm, I'm sure there's days where you wake up and like like have to stop for a moment and almost like pinch yourself you're like whoa, whoa yeah, did this just happen exactly. Exactly. Well, because I so I actually just closed a couple of deals for um, some of our Olympic gold athletes, uh, gold medalists. And so um, the organizations were seeking um, a gold medalist for a keynote speaker. And and obviously with the Olympics going on, that's why they're super like excited about that. And it was just the craziest thing because like Olympic gold medalists are now texting me, which is like it still blows my mind. <laughs> <laughs> that, is, that is mind blowing. Um... Like in the early days of tea with Mike, I had a Canadian uh, Paralympian uh, swimmer uh, that, that just uh, competed at actually at the Tokyo Olympics named, oh uh, I hope I'm not watching this in the moment, but her name's uh, <laughs> uh, Tammy Cunnington or Cunningham, like one of the two. I'm, I'm feeling bad that I can't remember at the moment. But anyway, yeah, she, it was like a third or fourth game at the Olympics and to see people from your, like, home, like your hometown or your home city, no matter yeah. what the size is, it's just like, really cool in you and then at the same time you're like she was on the tea with Mike podcast I'm yeah. like, like i don't care I, I don't care how many people know that but i know that and that's what's ultimately important exactly well i don't know about you but i think it's also very humbling right it's like never forget where you started so <laughs> exactly and, and then it, but it, also on the flip side of that you do have to remember where you started but it, you also have to have a balanced like mindset also with I'm worthy of this opportunity. I've worked for this opportunity. Like yeah. when you were talking about texting with Olympic gold medalists, you've come from an immigrant family. I'm sure. I'm sure it wasn't easy starting out, and you've had and obviously so things have been challenging along the way. And you've learned from like 
certain businesses that haven't succeeded. But more importantly, if you're involved or you've had businesses and still do that, where you've had more successes and failures. Yeah, 100%. Oh my gosh, you're so much more well-spoken than I am. And like, Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> you encapsulated that so beautifully. I was like, yes, yes, 100%. <laughs> Thank you so much uh, for being on the Tea with Mike podcast, Monique, and for uh, sharing uh, your dynamic story, you know, from breakdancing uh, to cannabis companies uh, to uh, everything in between. I've really had a lot of fun uh, learning more about you. Thank you so much. No, thank you so much for having me on the show. I really enjoyed this. This was a blast. So um, I've always loved, you know, like um, how you uh, structure your podcast and with all the storytelling and everything too. It makes it definitely way more fun. Also, thank you uh, for the feedback because as you know, like getting both positive and negative feedback is what you need to continue to grow and, and uh, scale and also to stay motivated on the, uh, on the days where you don't want to do it as much as other days. Absolutely. Very well said. All right, guys. Uh, thank you for listening uh, to another episode of the Tea with Mike podcast uh, with Monique Sa. I really hope you enjoyed uh, this one. Um, if you enjoyed Monique's story, uh, there's plenty more stories from people around the world at, at teawithmike.com. And from me to you, uh, thank you for listening and supporting the Tea with Mike podcast. It's the Tea with Mike show.